104.5 The Zone's non-stop sports talk continues with a look at Nashville's teams and at news around the nation from the lead writer of 104.5TheZone.com. This is The Big Six. The Big Six with Jason Martin. Presented by Rector's Warehouse. And here we go. Straight up, 6 o'clock by my watch means it's time for the one and only Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. Glad to have you with us. Blessed to have you as a part of my audience. My name is Jason Martin. You can find me on Twitter at jmartzone. Say it every night. Want to make sure that I get back in the habit of doing it. Blessed beyond measure, all reasonable and otherwise. Hope you recognize that you are as well. Hope this finds you and yours doing exceedingly well in your lives. And DMs at Jmart Zone, always wide open for a faith-based conversation. Last night we kind of diverged from the pathway, and I talked about Dean Pease's comments on getting along with players and his job, and um, we talked about positivity and not negativity. And I think we might have to do that again, based on a video that. Well, it was on Showtime last night, but I think you've, most of you have seen it, at least if you've been on social media. But I don't want to lead off there. I want to lead off with the story that a lot of folks were discussing yesterday. And I had planned to get there, but we just didn't get there. That's one of the beauty, one of the real beautiful things about radio is that I can stop and change on the fly. There's not a format that needs to be torn up or anything like that. And I knew this story was still going to be alive today. And that is, what's going to happen this offseason with the Tennessee Titans as it relates to the quarterback position? Ryan Tannehill just finished with the highest passer rating in the league when he took over from Marcus Mariota at 2-4. and four. He led this team to the playoffs. If you read the article that Robert Mays wrote at the Ringer a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how they've ridden Derrick Henry for the two playoff wins and down the stretch, but it's Ryan Tannehill that was the key to everything. That he's the reason that they made the postseason, that they don't make it without him, without the things that he did, without his accuracy, without not turning the football over, uh, without the chemistry that he developed with rookie wideout A.J. Brown, even with Johnny Smith, and just making plays, and certainly the chemistry that he built with Arthur Smith, the offensive coordinator. Tannehill did everything you possibly could have asked the quarterback to do especially coming in in the role that he was coming into remember and you may have seen this or not but you know Adam Schefter originally put up the post that said the Tennessee Titans have traded for Ryan Tannehill and if you looked at the comments because this was posted after he started winning and you'd see this kind of pop up if you looked at the comments Everybody still was acting like Miami fleeced the Titans, even though the Titans were not paying very much. It wasn't a high-risk move. And they brought in someone that they thought might be able to help them. And it was one of the better moves, one of the better decisions that John Robinson has made as the general manager of this team. I'm not saying that we all believed in it when he got here, but I do think that most of us believed that they had upgraded the quarterback spot from what they had had in the backup role with Gabbard and guys like that in years previous. No one thought that they were bringing in a potential starting quarterback. No one thought that he was going to end up with the highest passer rating in the league and an amazing record as a starter once he took over for this team. 
and just the way everyone on that offense seemed to play better around him. The timing of him coming into the game coincided with the offensive line beginning to play better. Lawan probably a little bit rusty after his four weeks off. He wanted it really badly, but I think he was maybe a little too over-emotional for a time, and he started to kind of pull back on that and just start playing football in the last six weeks of the season. And we also saw the emergence of Saffold as what we assumed he was going to be when he was first acquired from the Rams. So the line got better around the time Tannehill got into the lineup. Sometimes it's just not in your favor. And for Mariota, he didn't get to play with that offensive line. I'm not saying it would have been any different than it was, but it wasn't the most advantageous situation for Marcus to be in when he was the quarterback. Ryan Tannehill earned himself some money playing this year. Now the question is, who's going to give it to him? Is it going to be the Tennessee Titans who see what he did, think he can duplicate it, or think that he can do a reasonable facsimile of it? Or is it going to be somebody else that might even overpay based on a rather short snippet? I don't think that we saw a bunch of things that he can't do again. I disagree with Jeff Schwartz in that I, I don't I'm not saying that he's he's not Mahomes, he's not one of those kind of guys. But Ryan Tannehill to me looks like he could do this for a couple of years. Maybe not lead the league in passer rating, but he can win football games for you. Now, can he win playoff games? He was the quarterback of a team that just beat the defending champion and the soon-to-be-named most valuable player. But when he ran into a great quarterback in Patrick Mahomes, an elite quarterback, no, he, he couldn't. But very few could. That's why the Chiefs are in the Super Bowl. But now it's not about Ryan Tannehill, is it? The story, and it's not even necessarily a story, it's a whole lot of speculation but sometimes when the speculation starts to get louder and louder, and this is the thing, I don't know where the original source was. When I first saw it, it was our buddy Alan Bell, who I've had on the program, who's on 3HL every week of 24-7. It was him that suggested that the Titans should kick the tires on this. But then it was picked up by a lot of national personalities. Clay Travis talked about it on Fox yesterday. Stephen A. Smith debated it with Max Kellerman on ESPN yesterday. You started seeing it pop up in more places, and there are there is a debate to be had here. There is a discussion to be had here. And what that point is, is that if it's true, what Tom Brady has said, which is I would be willing to play for another team, I'm fine doing that, that the Tennessee Titans should be that team. There are reasons why, and there are reasons why it doesn't make sense. And I think we need to parse all of it. First off, when you saw Tom Brady at UFC 246, watching McGregor just destroy Cowboy Cerrone in 40 seconds on Saturday night in Vegas, there's a photo that's out there of Tom Brady talking to Mark Davis of the Raiders. And there had been suggestions that if Tom Brady left New England, him playing in Vegas for the Raiders in their first season in their new digs, in their new city, would be the ideal spot. I never really saw it that way because I still don't look at the Raiders and say they're a quarterback away. I do think that he would potentially make them better. But the problem here is the word potentially. Because you're not getting Tom Brady from two or three years ago even. 
You're getting Tom Brady, who's going to be 43 by the time the new season starts. You're getting Tom Brady that you just don't know how much he's got left. And you're not going to know until you find out he doesn't have very much or he still has a lot. I've been racking my brain trying to come up with the right take here. Because I can see it both ways. I don't think Tannehill is the answer here five years from now. But I think in most cases, unless you've drafted the guy, drafted the perfect guy, almost nobody is going to be the answer five years from now. Yeah, you can discover a journeyman, but how long is that journeyman going to really be with you? I mean, Tannehill spent a large part of his career in Miami toiling away. A lot of his futility, I don't believe, was his fault. I think he was better, and I think he's proven that by coming to an organization that was more stable, a better coaching staff, more weaponry, and he used that. And he's got a great personality, and he seemed to fit with this team really effectively. But he has he's not 25. You know, Mahomes is 24 years old right now. And I look at Mahomes, and I think he's going to dominate this league for a decade. Yeah, maybe not, but what watching him tells you he can't? What watching him tells you that you're going to be seeing the Chiefs in the Super Bowl a whole lot? Yeah, Andy Reid could retire if they win the Super Bowl. That's been discussed. If he does, I would say, if, unless the Chiefs are out of their minds, that's when you promote Eric Bieniemy and you give him an opportunity to run that team. Because I would imagine Mahomes would be more than fine with that. And you would not have the kind of jarring transition between offensive schemes because Reed and Bienemy have kind of crafted that joint together. But the quarterback spot in Tennessee is huge. I think you're going to pay Derrick Henry. Now, there has to be a number where you walk away. And I still don't think $15 million to a running back in 2020 leaves you with what you need and doesn't set you up for success because paying that second contract for a running back rarely pays off. I think paying for a running back is one thing. Paying for Derrick Henry is another. I think that he's kind of a unicorn because of how he's built and what he seems to be able to do. Yeah, the Chiefs got the better of him on Sunday, but eventually somebody is going to. There's a reason why there's not a whole lot of undefeated teams in the history of the NFL. But I still think 15 might be too much. 13, I think you can get me there. Maybe incentivize it, whatever you need to do. And then there's still possible franchise tag and all this. And maybe you franchise tag Tannehill, but I think then you're overpaying for him because of what you have to pay him in terms of the average salary. Tannehill, all he did was win games do what he was asked to do, be efficient about it. And he got you to the playoffs. He got you there, and then he didn't lose games for you once he got there. He didn't play as well in the playoffs to me, but he was playing against much better defenses from Baltimore and New England and a vastly improved Kansas City defense as well. Let's not forget that. Those guys got a whole lot better, especially as they got healthier. And right now they are firing on most, if not all, cylinders. Here's the argument, though. This is what I've seen put out there 
This is the sentence that I have seen most often since this Brady topic was first broached. If Tom Brady is out there, you've got to take that chance. If Tom Brady is available, you go get Tom Brady. That sounds sensible. And in fact, I think it probably is sensible. But there are two sides to this coin. There's a reason why you would want Tom Terrific, and there are reasons why you should be wary of Tom Terrific. It all comes down to who you put the blame on for the Patriots' decline this year. And really last year, too. Last year, the offense was better because they had Gronkowski, but they didn't win the Super Bowl behind their quarterback. They won the Super Bowl behind their defense, behind Flores and Belichick just baffling Sean McVay to where he had no answers and is still, I think, trying to recover from the blueprint that the Patriots laid out for what to do against the Rams. Who did you credit for what the Patriots did? Is it more on Belichick? Is it more on Brady? And who do you credit for this season and what has changed? Your answers to those two questions ultimately might tell you whether or not you're in the let's bring Tom Brady to Tennessee camp or let's hold off for just a minute here. Let's not overreach. We're going to take a break. We come back. I'm going to tell you why you want Tom and the very logical reasons why you might not at this stage before he starts playing. If he starts playing for the Tennessee Titans, his first game is going to be basically September of 2020. There are pros and cons to be sure, and we will lay those out for you next. Just off and running here on the Big Six on a Wednesday night in the Music City on 104.5 The Zone. Zone. Welcome back. Happy Wednesday to you. We are closer now to the end of the work week than we are the beginning. Always a reason to rejoice. This is the Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. I'm Jason Martin. On Twitter, at jmartzone. We're brought to you by Renters Warehouse, dedicated to helping homeowners become rent estate investors by renting their homes instead of selling. It's a cool thing. Renters Warehouse is the rent estate company. A little bit of just updating to you in terms of what you can find at 1045thezone.com slash big6blog, where I happen to be the editor-in-chief. Uh, I will be screening The Gentleman, heading straight to the theater as soon as this show is over. As a matter of fact, Guy Ritchie's new film... I'll be writing on that probably tomorrow, so you'll have a chance to read that before you make a decision on whether or not to check it out. My guess is if you liked Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels and Snatch, this is probably the closest to that that we have seen. I don't anticipate it being as good as either one of those two films, but you never know. I'm excited to see what guy has for us this time around. Also, The Outsider, I'm writing on that every week. That hits pretty much as the credits roll on the East Coast. So when you watch it, as soon as it's over, that thing should be up at the blog, too, and it's a deep analysis and all that. So always have that kind of in the back of your head if you're watching that series. Maybe later on in the week, maybe even the end of this show, I'll explain to you why I think The Outsider is working pretty well, even though it's one of those that... It's a miniseries that you don't need to get too attached to because once it's done, it's probably going to be done, which is what we're seeing more and more from Richard Price, who also did The Night Of, which was a miniseries that didn't look like it was going to have a sequel and appears like it is not. But we're talking about Tom Brady, and we're talking about the Tennessee Titans and Tom Brady. Pros and cons. Do I want to start with the good or the bad? 
you know, you always have that, do you want me to start with the bad news or do you want me to start with the good news? Usually say the bad news so that then the good news can kind of wash over you. But I guess we can start with the good and just say Tom Brady is Tom Brady, right? He's the winningest quarterback you'll ever find, probably. I don't think anybody's going to do what he's done. He's been a part of this team of the century, the centerpiece of it, outside of his coach. And much of his career, he has done it without wide receivers that you would call elite. He has really made a lot of people better. I think Julian Edelman is a gamer, but I wonder what Julian Edelman would be if he had not played with Tom Brady, if he had not played in that system. Wes Welker was good in Miami. He was fantastic for the New England Patriots, and he was still awfully good when he left and went to Denver. Randy Moss is a totally different animal, and they have tried out, you know, Chad Ochocinco, Josh Gordon, Antonio Brown. They have tried these guys out in low-risk situations, and when they haven't worked out, they haven't worked out, and for Randy Moss, it did. Almost got them a Super Bowl. Real close. Tom Brady is a guy that is not a deep ball guy more often than not. His career has been closer to dink and dunk than it has been deep shots down the field. When I talk about the best deep ball throwers in the league, I talk about guys like Russell Wilson, and now I'm talking about Mahomes, and of course Aaron Rodgers is still in there. Matthew Stafford is probably still in there. And you're about to have some new guys, Tua in particular, who's unbelievable throwing the ball deep down the field. Tom Brady's really not that guy. When the Colts-Pats rivalry was at its apex, it was Peyton that was throwing the ball down the field. It was death by 100 paper cuts, maybe not 1,000 for the Patriots, but 100 paper cuts. A lot of throws to the flat, a lot of screens, a lot of intermediate throws from Tom Brady. And those are... Real difficult throws to make, and that's one of the biggest reasons I think Marcus Mariota is not going to be the starting quarterback for the Titans in the future, is he just couldn't make that throw, and he couldn't throw outside the numbers consistently enough. Tom Brady, there was an article written, it may have been the ringer, I can't remember, but I heard them discussing it about a month ago, about Tom Brady during the offseason and watching him, like when he's going through his deal and he calls his receivers and he sends them out to California or whatever, and they're working on stuff. And how meticulous Tom Brady is in his preparation. He's got math. He's got physics. He's got all of these different kinds of things to where he can say, look, if you are at this exact spot on this hash mark, 3.16 seconds after we snap the football and you turn around, the ball's going to be right between your numbers. He is so detail-oriented that it's almost like there is a football computer in his mind in terms of quarterback accuracy, timing. We talk about, and I say we, and I talk about it now because Dave McGinnis introduced me to the concept a few years ago watching at practice, and Rhett Bryan also kind of helped educate me on this. The concept of the football platform for a quarterback and throwing off the platform, like on time. There's a moment where, if you've seen Ford versus Ferrari, you see the spot where Carroll Shelby is just like, not yet, not yet, wait, now. And then you're supposed to, you know, send it into the next gear and throttle past the guy. And it has to be timed right. Well, so do throws. I've talked about on this program many times that Marcus Mariota could not throw anybody open. He had to wait for them to get open, turn around, they're available, boom, then he throws it. 
and sometimes that will lead to an interception or that will lead to an incompletion and a pass breakup because it's late. Platform is all about making sure that the ball is out of your hands at the moment that it's going to succeed, at the moment you throttle it into that gear and tear off and win Le Mans. So there would be a number of occasions we'd be standing at, at Titans practice, especially during camp, and it would be Rhett on one side of me and it would be Coach Mack on the other. And Coach Mack would just say, Rhett, and then the snap would happen. And you would hear Rhett next to me just go, now. And then the ball had to be out because that was your platform. That was your timing. And Marcus was not particularly good at that. Tom Brady, folks, could be the best of all time at the ball being out of his hands when it needs to be. And the reason he's been able to play as long as he has is because, well, yeah, he's had good offensive lines, but he also just doesn't get hit. He gets the ball of his hands, and he will live to play another down. And Tannehill did a good bit of that, too. He gave up a few more sacks than maybe you'd like to see, but he was a definite improvement for Marcus in that mode. Tom Brady also knows how to win. That's another big pro. And he knows how to win at the highest level under the most pressure. He can come back in the fourth quarter like nobody's business. And you always feel like you have a chance and maybe you even have an advantage if you've got 12 under center playing quarterback for you. He's also the greatest quarterback sneak guy, executor. Not a great way to describe that, but he's the best at that play we've ever seen. Unbelievable. He's a magician when it comes to the quarterback sneak. Ask Bill O'Brien what that might have meant on fourth and one against the Chiefs in the divisional round. So Brady has a lot of tangible skill, and he has a lot of intangible skill as well. Now for something that isn't really him on the field, but it's just his presence. There have been a couple of calls. I had one of them last night. My question to everybody was, if you could leave a voicemail for the Tennessee Titans organization, now that the season has come to an end, what would it sound like? Some people called, and they gave me some of those. And one called and said, hey, we need to fill the stadium up with blue. Stop selling your tickets. Stop selling your you know, your PSLs, all these kinds of things, week in and week out, show up and support this team so that it feels like Arrowhead felt on Sunday for the Chiefs. So it's a real home field advantage. Nothing that you could possibly do for this organization would mean more in terms of eyeballs and attention than Tom Brady becoming the starting quarterback for the Tennessee Titans. You would sell a ton of tickets, and you would have the nation's interest immediately. I was trying to go back, and I was trying to think of what happened to the Kansas City Chiefs when Joe Montana became their quarterback. Did they all of a sudden become more interesting because it was him and not Steve DeBerg, for instance? I can't remember because I was too young. I remember it happening, and I remember caring more about the Chiefs when I saw 16 back there as a kid. But the Chiefs also had a whole lot of... That's just one of those franchises that I think mattered a little bit more anyway. So maybe it wasn't just because of Montana. Here, the Titans are still more or less, hopefully this season changed it, but they've been an afterthought for such a long time that if you could inject something like Brady, as soon as you have Brady in a uniform, everybody wants to be here. The NFL Network... CBS, ESPN, Fox, everybody wants a piece of that pie. It becomes the most fascinating story going into next year is what is Brady going to do without Bill Belichick? 
what is Brady going to do somewhere else? How is Brady going to look wearing someone else's uniform? How much does he have left? How much drive does he have to prove that he was not just the biggest benefactor of Bill Belichick's greatness as a head coach? All of these questions, the second this happens, becomes the biggest story in football in a long time. Huge. Bigger, I think, than Peyton to Denver, just because of the level of success Brady has had at the highest level and how it's all been with the same coach. You know, Manning had to deal with a couple of different head coaches, and he just didn't have the Super Bowl success that Brady had. This is a guy with the most rings making a move, and you just kind of never thought you'd see him in another jersey. So the curiosity factor, the interest factor, cannot be overstated here. I don't think that we should care about how many tickets the Tennessee Titans are selling, just in terms of fans. But sellouts are fun. They're fun to go to. They're fun to watch on TV. They're fun to cover. They're fun to broadcast. And you could not bring another player here that would matter, even close to what Tom Brady could mean in terms of exposure for this organization. And in the end, it is a business. From a business perspective, if Tom Brady didn't require a ton of money, because of what his wife makes and what he's always made and how he's always cut a deal. And maybe he cuts an even bigger deal for guys he loves like Vrabel and John Robinson, who he knows so well and is friends with. I say you couldn't measure it in gold, but you could because the turnstiles would just be shooting off. I mean, just think of what it would mean. Think of looking at that billboard that's got Tom Brady in a Titans jersey on it. And think about, for the first time, and look, again, you shouldn't care. I know this. If you love your team, you love your team. But I do a national show, and I do this show. And I'm telling you, I would love to see the Tennessee Titans more relevant on a national stage. I would love to see them get more run than they do. And maybe this playoff run has helped them in that vein. But Brady would ensure it. So that's all positives. Why maybe not Tom Brady? When we come back, we'll address that. It's the Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. Zone. Welcome back here in the Music City. It's the Big Six on 104.5 The Zone. I'm Jason Martin, your host. On Twitter at jmartzone. Blessed to have you here. Blessed that you made us a, a part of your evening. We're talking about the Tom Brady story. We're talking about Tom Brady and Tennessee and what could be. I still think the first time I saw anybody talk about it was Alan Bell, but then you saw Stephen A. Smith and Clay Travis and a number of other people kind of debate and start to discuss it. There is familiarity, certainly, with Mike Vrabel and John Robinson. There is staying in a conference that he knows very well. There is an opportunity for Tom Brady, if he goes elsewhere, to win without Bill Belichick which I think maybe is the only thing that he has not been able to prove yet because he's been with Belichick his whole career, and if that sticks in his crawl at all, then he has to get away in order to do that. I don't think this is a Durant situation because Brady won a whole lot on his own with Belichick there, certainly, but Durant leaving Golden State, I think, was 
not being particularly happy, not getting along with some of those guys, but also it not being his team. Even though Belichick, to me, is the one that should get the most credit if you were divvying up that pie, I think Belichick's the main reason for their success. And Brady is 1B. I can't say he's secondary because that's that's a total... I can't do that. Not to Tom Brady. Not to the greatest of all time. But I do think that Belichick has been most responsible. And I think that if he heard me say that, that would drive him insane. Meaning Tom. So I laid out in the last segment, good reason to subscribe to the podcast if you're not. Big Six with Jason Martin. You can get the full archive there. Don't miss a second. I laid out a lot of reasons why it makes sense for Tom Brady to Tennessee, both on the field and what he would mean from an exposure standpoint. Now let's talk about the flip side. One, Tannehill's younger, and he just did a whole lot for you, and I don't know that Tom Brady gets you further than Ryan Tannehill just did. Could he have won another game in the regular season? Maybe so. But the game that Tannehill lost to the Saints, he lost and Derrick Henry wasn't playing, and I don't know because they didn't want it. I don't know how that one plays out. Maybe you win the Carolina game. That was the only one that I saw where I was just, I didn't know what was going on. But it felt like the game plan was flawed there. They needed to run the ball more because Carolina had one of the worst run defenses in the league, and they were not tested in that way. Tannehill in the playoffs, he played pretty well against Kansas City. Not perfect, but pretty well. He wasn't called upon to do much against Baltimore or against New England, but what he was called upon to do, he succeeded in. He executed. He accomplished. He, again, supplanted Drew Brees and ended the season with the highest passer rating in the league. He was the reason for the turnaround. And Derrick Henry began to flourish as he began to flourish, and vice versa. They enabled one another's success. And the line began to play better, and Tannehill got the ball out of his hands a few more times, got sacked a few less times than Mariota, and was able to make some precise throws that that Mariota was inconsistent at throughout his time here. A couple of those throws that I saw Adam Humphreys catch on Sunday to move the chains, the entire reason that you go sign Adam Humphreys is to be there for those plays. I think Mariota probably misses at least one of those. And there's an extra punt on the field. Or a punt that comes earlier. Maybe that's more appropriate. How much better is Tom Brady going to make you on the field? It's very simplistic to say he's washed up, look at him. He can't do it anymore. That is erroneous. I don't see that. I have not seen that real recession or reduction of his skills as of yet. He's certainly... Not what he was at his highest, at his peak. But I don't think he's a scrub right now either. And here's how I can prove that to you. The lack of weaponry that he had around him this season was staggering. And I think that it led, as much as anything else, to the kinds of things that kept them from scoring the points that maybe you anticipate and certainly kept Brady's stats from being what they could have been. I'm just, I just randomly pulled up one game where Tom Brady against the Bengals, they won the game by three touchdowns, but he had 120 yards passing. He had 209 against Tennessee in the wild card round. He was 20 of 37. Low, low completion percentage of 54%. 
and he hovered in that 50 to 55% a lot. Now, against Buffalo, he was 78% late in the year. How much of that was on him, and how much of it was on the lack of weapons? Because if you look early in the season, 341, 264, 306, then he had 334 and 348 against the Giants and the Redskins. His percentage was 69. It was 76. It was 67. It was 67. It was 71. It was 67. It was 65. That threw November 3rd when they lost to Baltimore. Okay. After they lost to Baltimore, they had a bye. He finished at 65.2% completions on November the 3rd on Sunday Night Football against Baltimore in that 17-point loss. They had a bye, and they came back, and they played Philadelphia on the 17th of November. 55 completion, 55%. Then the next week against Dallas, 46. Houston, 51. KC, 53. Bengals, 52. The lone good one then on the 21st of December, 79, and then you had 55, and you got 54 in the postseason. So it dropped off a cliff after Baltimore. What does that mean? I don't know, but let me tell you the negative way to look at this. Historically, if you go back and you look at quarterbacks, aging quarterbacks, right at the end, when their skills begin to erode, when it's over, they do not age gracefully. This does not go well at the end. At the very, very end, the decline is sharp and steep in that I don't think you could actually reach the top of that mountain without a lot of climbing equipment and prayer. You couldn't just walk up it. It's too steep. The slope is too much. You fall. They just plummet to the earth. I don't know that we saw it with Drew Brees in the Saints playoff loss, but he played terribly in that game. What we saw from Phillip Rivers this year, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about, but arguably, usually it's even worse. Like, you know immediately when you see it, okay, now he is washed. Now he's done. We saw it with Brett Favre at the end of his career. It has happened so many times. Whoever the quarterback is, he didn't age gracefully. Unless he left on top before his skills began to erode. And that's a really hard thing for an athlete to do. I was talking to JT yesterday. He said, you know what I'd do if I was Tom Brady? Quit. And I agree, except that Tom Brady, and I've talked about this on the program before. Tom Brady, I don't think, knows how to quit. Because I don't think he knows what he wants to do with his life after football. Football's all he cares about. It's that and his family. And maybe he just goes home and, and plays with his family, but I think that it would bore him to tears. He is an ultimate competitor. And I do think there is a piece of him that hates that he's never done anything without Belichick and would like to prove otherwise. The question is, do you believe that Tom Brady, with more weapons, he would have that. He'd have a rookie wideout in A.J. Brown. He'd have a good tight end in Jonu Smith. And when he's had a good tight end, he's been a lot more dangerous. We know that especially a guy that can get up field with it once he does catch it. He would have probably the best running back of his entire career. I mean, he's had a couple of good ones, but what Derrick Henry's doing right now, there's nobody else in the league that measures up to 
what Derrick Henry forces a defense to try and do to stop him. So you're giving him a run game. I think you're giving him a defense that might have a little bit more talent on it but doesn't have Belichick's brilliance, and that can't be completely negated here. But you're giving him a lot more weapons, and I think you're giving him a general manager that he would trust to bring in the right groceries, to use the Parcells analogy. Tom Brady, when he had Antonio Brown for that one game, looked awfully good. When Josh Gordon was still on the team, he had an outlet and he was able to throw it down the field and he still looked pretty daggone good, even though the Titans got the better of him last year here in Nashville. The question you have to ask yourself is, is Tom Brady about to take that precipitous decline that does not go gradually and does not just kind of ease its way off into the sunset, but instead is Thelma and Louise off a cliff straight to dooms? you know, straight to death, basically, in terms of a football career. If you don't believe that, I find it really hard to believe, and I find it really hard to say, don't go after Tom Brady. I think it depends on what money Tannehill would require. And I still, again, tell you four years from now, I don't think either one of them is the quarterback of this team, even if both of them were good when they got here. The age and just the way and the movement of this league. Tannehill's not a franchise guy at this stage. Tom Brady can't be at his age. The franchise guys are the young dudes. Neither one of these two dudes is a spring chicken. So I think that right there tells you that you're looking at a short-term proposition with either one of them. So do you want the six-time Super Bowl winner? Or do you want the guy that just gave you a pretty good stretch for one year? I think Tannehill's awesome for what he did and how he has conducted himself and so many reasons. And I'm just kind of sort of debating this with myself on the air on live radio because I've gone both ways and I've thought both ways about this. I think the value of bringing in Tom Brady to this market, what it would mean for this franchise, means you have to do it. And that's hard to say after what Ryan Tannehill just did. But if you think you could land Brady, if you really think you could make that happen, I feel like you'd have to roll those dice and let him prove to you that he is washed. Because I don't think we have seen the indicators yet to say that he is. He's not Phillip Rivers yet. And because of the way he plays, he still maybe has a couple of good years if you surround him. And right now, I don't think he's surrounded in New England with what he needs. And I don't know that they're going to make that happen for him this year. So if you're Vrabel, if you're John Robinson, you try to make that deal if you can. We'll be right back. It's a big six on 104.5 The Zone. Final segment of the program tonight here on The Big Six. I'm Jason Martin. I'm on Twitter at jmartin. I'll be a little shorter since we went a little longer in that last segment. We're brought to you by Renters Warehouse. They are dedicated to making renting your home easy, fast, and worry-free. Renters Warehouse, you can't buy happiness, but you can rent it. We have looked at the Tom Brady situation. I think it's a short-term proposition either way, whether you get him or whether you stick with Tannehill. I just look at Tom Brady, and I am entranced enough to say you've got to take that risk if you have the opportunity. 
you have to let him prove to you he's done because I don't know that he is. I don't think that Tom Brady is going to lead you to a Super Bowl now, but oh gosh, I don't know. Who knows? Maybe I'll have a different opinion tomorrow. It's definitely, I can, I can understand the reasons on both sides. Let me tell you what I want to congratulate Nashville for. In 2021, I can't wait to congratulate Nashville for still having had the greatest NFL draft we've ever seen. Because the news that came out about Vegas, I know what they think this is going to look like. And maybe they have this worked out a lot better than I think they do. But the idea that they're doing this on the water at the Bellagio, which will look really cool, but that drafted players are going to be taken by boat to the stage, which is going to be on the water. I tweeted out yesterday from at Jmart Zone, how long is this draft going to take? I just think of a boat taking every player, even if it's just the first round. I can't imagine you're doing that after the first round. But the first round already takes a long time. It's a primetime event, and it just gives them more time to bloviate and gas bag. But all of these guys, and then, you know, you're saying all the prop bets for who's going to jump in the water first and all this. Yeah, I'm sure it probably will happen. I think it's going to be overblown. Everybody's going to say, oh, it's such a cool moment. How can it be a cool moment if we're already talking about who's going to do it? I look at this, and I just say, I think they're overdoing it here. Like, yeah, okay, it could be cool. Maybe it will be for a couple of picks, and then can we just have them walk to the stage and shake Goodell's hand and move on here? I just think it's going to look so overproduced. There are, like, there's movies out there, there's television shows that you just want to look gritty, that you don't want to look too polished. It's not like the NFL needs to look gritty. I don't think it needs to look like homicide, life on the street or American Crime, or The Wire, or something like that. But I also don't know that it needs to look too over-the-top and comical. Like, professional with a stage of some kind. Nashville seemed to be the perfect way to make it look like a party, but it still also looked like a draft. This... This is going to look like the last 15 minutes of Police Academy 3. The regatta. And I'm just looking at the boats, and I'm thinking about the boats. I'm like, well, what boat? What kind of boat? I assume it's going to be some kind of motorized deal. They're not going to paddle people over. The Winklevosses are not going to row somebody over. But walking is going to be faster than getting in these boats, I would assume. Because you can't put the guy in the boat until he's picked. Or you are tipping picks worse than Adrian Wojnarowski finds a way to during the NBA draft. Like, if you have, all right, for example, like Kyler Murray's going to go number one, but you already knew that, but just for sake of argument, okay, Tua's going to go number five. Before the fifth pick is made, you see Tua climb into an Evinrude. You're going to know he's coming next, unless they put like 10 dudes in the boat and then nine of them climb out when the pick is announced and then they flock Tua over. The whole thing sounds preposterous to me. It sounds just. There's no need to go this far with it. I don't think that the NFL needs to look this way. Do this at the Pro Bowl. You want to introduce all the players in the Pro Bowl? Have them roll out on boats, whether or not it's Orlando or Hawaii or wherever you're doing the game. You can have them roll because they've got lays there anyway. You know, they're wearing the necklaces and they've got the Hawaiian shirts and all this. 
Just have them roll over in boats. Have them drive boats. But the NFL draft, how about we just pick the players, have them walk across the stage, shake Goodell's hand or hug him or whatever it is that they do, hold up that jersey, go talk to whatever reporter grabs them first, whether it's Susie Colbert or Deion Sanders or whatever, and then just move on to the next one. Because this seems to me like they're going to figure out somehow around midnight that, hey, you know what, this might not have been the best idea because it takes a little bit longer to get places by boat. You know how long it took to find America? How long it took to sail to America just from the West Indies? And now you've got Tua Tongo Vailoa and Jerry Judy and all these dudes out here with Magellan. It's going to take a minute, folks, and it's going to be tedious. And after about three or four of them, you're going to have had your fill. We'll be back tomorrow night. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. God bless and good night from the Music City.